This is The Bittersweet Life. If you're brand new to the show, go back to the very beginning and start with episode one. I promise you it is the way to go. And if you're not new to the show, hi. You know the drill. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're going to talk about the animals that you encounter when you travel and when you move to another country. Is there an animal that you discovered when you moved to Rome? Well, I'd have to say the starlings migrating birds that come through the city every year. Thousands, I mean, if I had to make an estimate, hundreds of thousands of birds, I think. Unbelievable numbers, and if you're anywhere near the river, they fill the sky. It becomes these giant black clouds that move and sway, and people will stop and stare at them because they're mesmerizing. Even though they make tons of noise and even worse mess, Every single year, I can't help but be completely awestruck by them. I remember that people, when they're really at their height, start walking around with an umbrella as they cross the Tiber River. That's true. You know, you see cars parked underneath the trees. Some silly person forgot to move their car before the starlings come in. Absolutely, completely covered 100%. You can barely see the paint job because it's covered in starling poo. If you listen very closely to the intro to this, this very show... One of the very first sounds that you hear are those starlings. I put them in there because when I lived there, they were impressive. And that sound is now associated with Rome for me. So if you're ever in Rome in the fall, look out for the starlings because they're cool. Bring an umbrella. (laughs) What about you? What's your most exciting animal encounter while traveling? No question. I had a bucket list item of getting into a shark cage during a... um, feeding frenzy. (laughs) Shark Alley is located off the coast of South Africa. It's where there are thousands of sea lions and as a result there are thousands of sharks. And so I went into a shark cage there. And it was the most amazing thing I've ever been through. Ready for this? Yes, I am ready. The water is this murky green color, freezing cold, by the way. So you can't really see anything around you. And then... These giant 12-foot great white sharks would come out of this gloom. And so you have this beautiful visual picture in your head of this big creature all of a sudden appearing, coming straight at you. I took my sister and my father along with me. My sister's memory of that trip is not quite as amazing as mine. We probably shouldn't have been on the water that day. Pretty choppy out there and it's kind of rainy. And But I'm not necessarily like a super great boater. And then they're throwing this disgusting smelling chum over the side to get the sharks to come, which does not help if you're feeling nauseous. The smell alone will make you want to throw up. So, yeah, I mean, I vividly remember standing at the side of that railing, just downwind from dad and having us have this moment of mutual 
puking <laughs> that was not made extra unpleasant by the fact that I was downwind. It was a bonding moment with my father that is etched in my brain. Uh, but I think the best part about it was we're over there throwing up over the side of the railing with his vomit flying onto me and mine going down to the girl who was down at the end of the boat. I mean, it was just awful. It was so windy and rocky. And then on the other side of the boat, here you are coming up in the cage going, yoo-hoo, that was so awesome. I do remember like when he got sick, you know, with when he was diagnosed with cancer after that kind of writing about that story, because it will be a, a memory I have of him that will always be with me. You know, it'll be, it's such a vivid one. It will be stuck in my brain forever. I would never, ever have the guts to do that. Ever. It's one of those things I just couldn't, I couldn't go there. I could do a lot of things, but that's not one of them. We also went on a safari together, my sister Sarah, and that was probably the other most memorable thing. I asked her about that safari and what she remembers. And beyond the fact that she does remember this night drive where a lion walked right next to us. This is what she remembered. You could not remember the name of the water buck to save your life. <laughs> and that every time we'd come around a corner, you'd be like, oh my God, what's that? It'd be like, it's the water buck. And then two corners later, oh my gosh, there's something <laughs> over there. What is it? It's the water buck still. <laughs> I have no idea why I couldn't identify the water buck. I know. It really was kind of weird. You could remember like every other animal, but for some reason that particular one always looked different to you. I wonder if I would recognize the water buck today. <laughs> I don't know. We should go through the pictures and be like, what do you think this one is? No, I mean, I can identify it in a picture, but I mean, if I was out on safari again and there was a water buck. <laughs> I don't know. You'd probably, if I don't think so. I don't think you ever even got it by the end. We were out there a lot. I would like to challenge <laughs> anybody listening to tell me what a water buck is. Because that is not an animal. At least I can defend myself. It's not a lion. That's it's true. A, it's a thing that looks like a giant deer. That That is true. Different than a gazelle, but with like, you know, it has a very distinct like ring on its butt. So like, I don't know why you couldn't like, the ring alone should have been like, oh, waterbuck. Don't feel too bad about that because I don't even know what a waterbuck is. When you said water buck, I thought at first it was some kind of water creature. It was frequently standing by water. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, how about how about you? What's your most memorable animal encounter? I went to India thinking that monkeys were one of my favorite animals. I quickly learned that I don't actually like monkeys. <laughs> I think they're kind of rude. I like big monkeys like I like big primates they're amazing but the little monkeys that kind of go anywhere from tiny up into maybe hip height they, they steal your stuff firstly so I was in Rishikesh and and I had just bought some peas in the pod and peas in the pod fresh peas in the pod happens to be my absolute favorite vegetable and I like to eat them raw. I think I would eat peas in the pod over potato chips if you gave me the choice. And I had just bought a whole bunch of these. And I was so excited to eat them. And I had them in a plastic bag. And I was walking down this little path. And I saw a, a monkey coming towards me. And he was one of those medium-sized monkeys that come up maybe to your rib cage or so. When you saw the monkey walking up the path toward you, were you excited about that? Here comes a monkey. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I have to say I wasn't because I'd already been in India for five weeks. So I'd already come in contact with monkeys in Jaipur. And I already knew that they were kind of annoying. 
I was over the monkey fascination by that point. So this monkey was kind of walking really close to me. And I was like, why is this monkey so close? What does it want from me? It came right up to me. And I kept thinking, no, he's not going <laughs> to. It's just so stupid. I sound like a, a woman talking about some man on the street. I was thinking, no, he's not coming up to me. He's not going to bother me. Why would he bother me? Well, he came right up to me and he ripped a hole in my bag and all of my peas fell onto the ground. So he started opening them and eating them. The thing about monkeys is, I guess, that they are maybe the most relatable animals because they're so similar to us. I mean, I can't imagine any other animal doing something so cheeky. And so he's he's sitting there opening these pea shells and eating the peas. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to just let you steal all my peas. So I start picking up the, the pea pods and putting them back in the bag. And he, as soon as he re realizes that I'm picking up the peas, he stops eating them and he starts picking them up as fast as he can. So I lost a whole bunch and I was really miffed. That's a wonderful story. <laughs> I don't know if it's wonderful or just annoying. They are fascinating creatures. The other great animal encounter that I had in India, I went on a camel safari. We rode on camels through the desert. You get to know your camel after two and a half days of riding it. You learn like how to ride a camel and what's the comfortable position. And you know by watching the people in front of you when they have farted. Because camels fart constantly. <laughs> know this about camels. And so you get to know what the signals are that means a fart is coming from the one in front of you. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, one of the birds that no matter where I've gone in the world that I've encountered is the pigeon. I don't know if it's the most common bird in the world, but it seems, it seems to be like in every it. single country. They're everywhere. Yeah. And how do you feel about pigeons? I'm not a huge fan of pigeons. I think it's because... I see them so much and they're always in my way and they're, I'm, I'll be sitting in a little cafe trying to have a sandwich and there'll be some pigeon right under my feet and it just bugs me. They just, they're kind of everywhere. They're not afraid of anything. They just get real close to you. I can't lie to you. I'm not a huge pigeon person. Well, I did an interview with, with an author named Andrew Blackman, who wrote a book called Pigeons and the subtitle's great. The fascinating saga of the world's most revered and reviled bird. <laughs> <laughs> That's accurate. I mean, I w didn't know that they were revered. Oh, you'll find out. I just want to play you some of that to see if it changes your opinion. Okay. Of how you feel about birds. And maybe to just taint how you feel about him in general as a source. Here's what he had to say about his visit in Rome. My favorite part of Rome was the Borghese Gallery and the Daphne Apollo, the Bernini. You cannot pull me out of that room. I was in there for like an hour and a half staring at that thing. Tons of marble that literally looks weightless like a feather blown. I mean, that statue is amazing. No, he, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm already sort of positively leaning towards this guy. If he liked the Apollo and Daphne, he can't be too bad. He also went all the way through Rome looking for every Caravaggio. Oh, so, really? Okay, so we have a lot in common. Yes. Something you can actually listen to on our podcast where we do two episodes about Caravaggio. Anyway, so here he is. Here's part of our conversation that we had about pigeons earlier today. The more I learned about these birds, just the more stunned I became. I mean, I, who knew that these birds could fly at 60 miles an hour from 600 miles away from a place they'd never been before and home in on their home, basically like a laser-guided missile. I learned that they were used by basically any great power, 
either for military purposes or just simply to send messages. Aging Egyptians used to send messages up and down the Nile about the uh, flood levels. In fact, uh, the Brits learned about the defeat of uh, Napoleon at Waterloo by pigeon. Wow. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Uh, it, it is. Uh, the entire pigeon thing is ridiculous, the entire pigeon world. I mean, it basically, wherever you find humans, you're going to find this bird. And they've been with us since essentially the Paleolithic times. I mean, the fact is they just like us. If you're in a city, what do you have that's animate, except for maybe somebody in their little toy poodle or a squirrel? You know, you're lucky if you see a squirrel. You're lucky if you see pigeons. Did you have a personal memorable encounter with a pigeon? Actually, I had a personal memorable encounter with uh, the superintendent of my building because <laughs> I put a feeder up at one point, and I thought it was pretty nifty because I had a lot of pigeons on my fire escape stoop. <laughs> one, day, one day, my superintendent bounds up the fire escape, takes uh, the feeder, throws it on the ground, and smashes into a bunch of pieces, and then just kind of like goes back down the fire stoop. Gives me the finger, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, there was there was basically pigeon poo everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you figure out how a pigeon would figure out where to go? For instance, you send a pigeon to the battlefield. How does the pigeon know to go to that battlefield? You don't just send a pigeon and it comes back. It goes from B back to A, essentially because it's imprinted on its mind where it's from, and essentially they're bred to be homers. So homers are essentially just your basic rock dove that's bred over and over again for its homing abilities. And you, you teach it to come back to its loft, and then eventually you can take it 500 miles away and it will just always come back. In fact, during World War II, they used to drop pigeons by parachute, little tiny micro parachutes, with a pencil and a piece of paper attached to them. And they would drop them to the partisans in France, and the partisans would find them, hopefully not eat them because they were awfully hungry. But um, take notes on, on German troop movements and literally just you toss them back in the air and they would go right back to England. People love pigeons. The people that are into this, they're called pigeoneers, are extraordinarily passionate. In an age when we have fewer and fewer hobbies, aside from playing video games or, or putting up our latest tweet, there was a time when people were really into animal hobbies, whether they were breeding them in their backyard, training them to fly, or whether they were training them to uh, be used during wartime. I want you to tell the story about the homing pigeon that took a long time getting home. It's a, it's a heartbreaker. It's so sweet. I mean, if you don't like pigeons, perhaps this story will help. First of all, we really don't even know how pigeons come back. I've talked to the, the leading experts at Cornell Ornithological School, and essentially it's a little bit of everything. I mean, they basically have bionic hearing. They can hear wind passing over the Rockies from 2,000 miles away. They have specks of magnetic ore sprinkled in their brain. They use smell. They have Superman vision. They use landmarks. They're living GPS. Anyway, so Marty basically was Orlando's bird. Orlando's a central character in my book. He sent Marty off on a race, and she always plays pretty well. Marty didn't come back that day. He waited and waited and waited. Sun went down. Birds don't fly at night. It was over. Marty wasn't there the next day. I mean, maybe sometimes a bird gets lost, comes back a day later. Two days go by. Three days go by. Doesn't come in. He's given up all hope. He assumes a uh, hawk ate Marty, his favorite little bird. And he, he opens up his door one morning, looks down at the stoop, and there she is. She had walked home with a broken wing. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane, right? It's insane. I know. And it was, it was just, it's just the sweetest story. I mean, she literally walked home. I love the idea of out, being out there taking a walk and seeing this pigeon with purpose walking by 
dragging its wing. I know. It's almost too much funny. Right? It's almost too funny, but it happened. Did you find a difference in your research between people who really like pigeons and people who really don't? People either love pigeons or they hate them. There's almost no one in between. People are extraordinarily brutal to this creature, which is actually beloved in every other continent than the American continent. They, uh, they love them everywhere. In ancient Rome, they were beloved. But um, somewhere in the 1950s, post-war, World War II, we became very prosperous. There was a lot more food waste, so there were just a lot more uh, food that was dropped on the, on the streets. There were a lot more pigeons, and then the pest industry grew up and basically um, turned into some kind of nefarious creature, when really pigeons are anything but. And, you know, if people call them dirty. It's because the streets are dirty. I mean, they're only as dirty as we are. So would you say then that our hatred of pigeons was created by the pest industry? I'm not sure. I'm not sure there is any documentable period in history, geographically, anywhere in the world, where people hated pigeons until maybe the 1950s or so. I mean, I, it just doesn't exist. In fact, just the opposite. The bird was, was beloved, and, and it's been worshipped as a fertility goddess for 10,000 years or more. I have one more question that's sort of not related, but something I've always been curious about. Did you find out why a pigeon's wings squeak? Do they? <laughs> you wrote a whole book about pigeons and you didn't notice that? I didn't notice they squeak. No, I didn't quite notice that. Because they're pretty quiet. The really cool thing is, is when they fly over you, you hear that, that kind of whoosh, the, the movement of air. It's just such a neat thing. You don't have to be in Yellowstone or Grand Canyon to, to find nature. You can find it wherever you find a pigeon. And of course, thinking about pigeons reminds me of this couple that I met one time back when I was working at KOW Public Radio in Seattle. I met Clark and Evelie Beck, who had a pigeon living on their kitchen counter in a box. And I went to go visit them to meet this pigeon. And here's a little story with them. When I, when I started this story, I decided to put in this moment where we're currently tormenting the bird with a robotic bird. Don't you like that red bird? <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if that puffing up is a fear or a uh, trying to look big and frighten the, the yeah, critter off, whatever it is. What's wrong? You hate that bird, don't you? Yeah, you do. So how often does she live in this box? She oh. lives, that, that's her main that's home, she's yeah. She has a cage outside, and she's not very well toilet trained, so we have to kind of watch her. Now she, um, here's her food. She likes millet, which is a small green, and Cheerios. But Cheerios are best. She really likes them best of all, don't you? Mm -hmm. You want to get out? Come on. Don't you want to get out? Nobody's going to bother your egg. No, come on, you can get out. Now you, you mess up. I'll show you how I put her outside. She enjoys being out. Well, a little bit. A little bit. So she just goes in her box here. Now go ahead and do your business. Get it all so you won't mess up your box. What do you call her? Well, I call her Birdie. And Evelyn named her Pedigeon, but she doesn't recognize Pedigeon, do you? No. Birdie's a better name for you. And we got her when she was just little fell out of a nest. We kept her and Evelyn fed her and just you feed them you know grain with with uh, milk and you just spoon it down them and but she raised her and then 
the darn bird pecks her all the time. Now, see, she's a little scary now. Come on up here. Come on up, and we'll bring you back in. You can do an indoor flight for us. So why do you not? Why do you not color a pigeon? Because the rock dove. See, pigeon is such a common word. <laughs> they are actually rock dove. That's the proper name. Yeah. Being a flying critter, they always keep their weight low, and that's why she, you know, she'll go quite often <laughs> every time they get a chance. Yeah, she empties out, so to speak. Yeah. Let her go. Here, I'll let her, let her go and she'll fly back to her box. Here, I can hear them whistle. I pick her up and take her outside and bring her in. She isn't, to, but, but she won't, if I sit, she won't fly on my shoulder. She, but she, in a moment, she'll fly on his. Well, as the rescuing mother, how does that make you feel? <laughs> doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sensitive about it. <laughs> You have her in a box with, is this the oven rack? Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. And we I just, thought we'd try to impress you before we can, we get a tall, see, taller I box. this whole thing to be temporary, that we'd give her away. But then, <laughs> then we kept her so darn long. We are afraid to let, you know, let her out in the we wild anymore. Yeah. I don't think she'd go away anyway. I think she'd stay around. Now that uh, you, you have a pigeon, or sorry, <clears throat> rock dove, <laughs> living in your home, do you see the the pigeons are, that are on the street differently? The ones you see walking through traffic? I notice and them more. You notice I notice them, them more. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. She'll come off her eggs here pretty quick. And then she'll come up and she'll nuzzle there, see? <laughs> now, if you notice, that's the way the female and male bird do. So I think she thinks I'm a male pigeon or something. I don't know. Well, it's interesting <laughs> to me because, and, and I give her the same type of attention, but she'll pick me. Yeah. Bite at me. In fact, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> Let's see if we can hear it. Oh, we can. Ow. But you, she does not do this to you. No, if I put my hand in there now, she's liable to bite me. Yeah. Because okay. somebody's been in there. You're yeah. all riled up. Put you your want hand in there. Come here. Come here. Oh, oh yeah. She wouldn't be biting. I do think it's interesting that, correct me if I'm wrong, if there's any pigeon experts out there, <laughs> that pigeon and the dove are kind of the same bird, except that one is gray and speckled and the other is white. They make the exact same noise. Then you have homing doves as well as homing pigeons. That's right. Everyone loves doves. Doves are purity. Doves are considered beautiful. But everyone hates pigeons. Is it really just a question of color. The most common pigeon, at least in uh, North America, its real name is actually the rock dove. We just call it a pigeon. But that's like what type of bird it is. Mm. That's the kind of bird that Clark and Evelyn Beck have. Are pigeons and doves the same thing in essence? I would think so. Yeah. That's, that seems like a pretty big prejudice for people to have, including myself, against pigeons and not against doves, simply based on color. This is the world we live in. <laughs> I guess so. Birdism. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> you recently went on a trip to the United States with your Italian in-laws. Did they encounter any animals in the United States that we would find normal that they, I don't know, were impressed by? Strangely enough, yes. They went absolutely nuts over squirrels. 
in Italy, they exist. They're just not that many. You really have to go to a heavily wooded area to find one. I did not see a squirrel the entire time I was over there. Yeah, and you spent a lot of time in Villa Pamphili Park, too, didn't you? Oh, yeah. You never saw one there? Not one. Nope. One of many places we went to was the Grand Canyon. And while we were there, my mother-in-law encountered a little squirrel. She's an animal lover. And she had a little bottle of water with her. And for some reason, she thought she would offer some water to the squirrel. And eventually, the squirrel took the opening of the bottle between its hands and basically was trying to drink from it. And so my mother-in-law lifted the end of the bottle up and the squirrel drank right out of the bottle, holding it with its hands. And of course, from that moment on, my sisters-in-law and my mother-in-law were absolutely obsessed with squirrels, with American squirrels. And everywhere we went from then on, if there was a squirrel anywhere, and there usually were, even in New York City, they would stop. <laughs> it became a running joke because my husband was trying to, you know, get to all the big ticket sites and see this and see that, trying to keep on schedule. And the three women were constantly stopping. Oh, there's a squirrel. Wait, we got to stop. There's a squirrel. They got a video of her feeding water to the squirrel. So I'll try to dig that up and, and see if we can post it. Yeah, I'll put it at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Okay. We should leave it there. I do want to invite people who are listening, if you have an interesting animal encounter story, I would really like to read some. I love animal encounter stories. And I think if we get a few that are really good, I'd be happy to read them on this podcast. So you can email bittersweetlife at mail.com. We'll read them in the coming weeks. Until then... This is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Visit the donate page on our website, thebittersweetlife.net. All donations are reserved exclusively for the creation of audio content. Your financial support keeps us strong. Thank you.